0: Hi, I'm Andrew Goldstein and this is The Art Angle, a podcast from Art.net News where the art world meets the real world, bringing each week's biggest story down to earth. Five months into the conflict, the brutal horrific war in Ukraine grinds on with no end in sight. And while Ukrainian men and women are fighting and dying on the front lines to defend their homeland, art workers are continuing to do their part to aid the struggle by preserving their nation's rich heritage and keeping the flame of culture alive. Shortly after the invasion, Artnet News European editor Kate Brown spoke to two such art workers based in Kyiv, Vasil Sharpanen, the director of the city's Visual Culture Research Center, and Nikita Kadan, an artist whose work is deeply imbued with his political activism. They spoke about what it's like watching the war unfold on their doorstep and how they are working to counter the crisis by any means possible. As the Art Angle team is on break, we are proud to re-air this episode.
1: like if we speak about cultural workers, increase visibility of Ukrainian culture. Visibility means survival.
0: Hi, I'm Andrew Goldstein, and this is The Art Angle, a podcast from Art.net News, where the art world meets the real world, bringing each week's biggest story down to earth. On February 24th, just three short weeks before this recording, The world as we knew it was utterly upended by the Russian army's invasion of the Eastern European nation of Ukraine. Spurred on by Russian President Vladimir Putin's dream of restoring a quasi-mythical version of the Russian Empire, the assault has unleashed devastating carnage, widespread damage, and a complex political and socio-economic crisis whose effects have been rippling around the globe ever since. Yet stories of breathtaking heroism and selflessness have also emerged from the fog of war and the indomitable spirit of the Ukrainian people has won hearts and minds across continents, leading millions in the West to stand in solidarity with them. As in any armed conflict, however, culture can become collateral damage. In addition to causing widespread death and displacement, Putin's war machine has already inflicted irreversible harm on some of Ukraine's most cherished museums and heritage sites, and it is threatening to do the same to the country's vibrant homegrown art scene. As with the rest of the nation, that art scene has much more fight in it than most outsiders knew. To tell the story of resistance, ArtNet News Europe editor Kate Brown spoke to two key cultural figures who are based in the Ukrainian capital of Kyiv and who have stayed behind to counter the crisis in whatever way they can. Platform
1: 14, now arriving EC 56 from Scheduled arrival 17.
2: See, the train is arriving. Dear refugees from Ukraine, welcome in Berlin.
1: Please keep clear from the platform in the area of the stairs. Please leave the platform by stair or downward and follow the instructions of the volunteer
2: with the yellow and orange.
3: Since the breakout of the war, around 2.8 million people have had to flee their homes and lives in Ukraine. It's a staggering number for a conflict that erupted just under a month ago. In Berlin, Germany, where I live, thousands of families and individuals have been arriving here every single day to the train station. These refugees bring with them whatever they can fit into a suitcase or two, and the city and networks of volunteers have been scrambling to figure out how to support them. Back in Ukraine, those who have stayed behind have had tough choices to make as well. Vasil Sharapanin, who is the director of the Visual Culture Research Center in Kiev, an organizer of the Kiev Biennial, and a founding member of the East Europe Biennial Alliance, met with me on a video call on the 12th day of war.
2: Yeah, thanks, first of all, for having me. Together with the family, we had to evacuate from the city of Kiev some time ago, so we moved to the Western Ukraine. So relatively we are now uh, safe because uh, we actually didn't want to leave the city if it was not the uh, our kid because it's really pretty hard to run to the bomb shelters like 10, 15 times per day and also in terms of food. Uh, there are shortages in Kiev and you have to queue to get some food so it's really, really pretty challenging. So we decided to to go outside of Kyiv, unfortunately.
3: Sherapanen has been a central figure in the art scene in Kiev over the last years. But he, like many of the country's curators, artists, galleries and museums, and like civilians all over the country of more than 44 million, have had to halt all their usual activities. Their futures are now totally on hold in order to deal with the realities of a sudden war zone.
2: We can speak about artists who had no ability to leave the country, who stayed in Ukraine, but uh, in general, uh, the problem is that wh- what actually happened is that just in one day, everything was destroyed. Like to speak about the cultural activities, about, uh, I don't know, my institution that I'm running, about the Kyiv biennial that we have been organizing since 2015. Everything was very much politically motivated, socially engaged and so on really direct political outcomes. Uh, But at the same time, I think the biggest problem now is uh, basically what we are facing militarily. It's a constant feeling being here that uh, basically uh, the outside world, the West, uh, is just observing how we are being exterminated, to put it bluntly. But this is the truth. The
3: situation is heartbreaking and unfair on so many levels. Prior to the Russian invasion, Ukraine had been going through something of a cultural renaissance as well. It was a popular destination for tourism within Europe, and some had been calling Kiev the quote-unquote New Berlin. With its rich history, art, museums, architecture, and its much-acclaimed nightlife, the cultural art scene in and around Kiev had been thriving and rapidly expanding, and there was an influx of cultural collaboration. There were new openings of venues and events, like Vasil's Kiev Biennial, the Commercial Art Gallery of and the Naked Room Gallery, a contemporary art space run by curators who are also organizing Ukraine's pavilion this year at the Venice Biennale. And that is naming just a few. But in just one day, the war took it away.
2: I'm not quite sure whether it's uh, the right moment to depict and discuss the situation before the war, because this world has already gone. And I'm not sure whether we will have an opportunity to revive it in any form or shape. So we are rather confronting a totally different challenge. So, of course, we can like, uh, speculate how great it was and how uh, vivid the cultural life was. Uh, but obviously, that there is no cultural life at the moment at all.
3: And while many civilians have understandably fled the country or headed to cities in the West, some, for many different reasons, have chosen to remain where they live for now. The urge is completely understandable. This is home. One of these people is the artist Nikita Kadan. He has been sheltering in place in Kiev at that commercial gallery I mentioned earlier, Voloshin, which represents him. The owners, meanwhile, are stuck in the U.S. due to the war. In Kiev, Kadan is doing everything he can to communicate the atrocities and experiences of the invasion, just like Vassil. I spoke to the artist on the 14th day of the invasion while he was at the gallery.
1: I'm uh in a space of art gallery returned to a bomb shelter. This space was a bomb shelter during Soviet time. And uh, then it was turned to a space for art. And now again, people hide from bombs and from shelling here. First uh, two days, I was uh, at my home. Then I moved here. For now, I'm like, sleeping in the corner in an exhibition room where I had uh, my exhibitions as well before. Uh, there is an assistant of the gallery with uh, her relatives and friends. And uh, there were two artists with their families, with their children, but they flew to the west of the country. So I'm only artist now, but there are other people.
3: Is the gallery underground?
1: Yes, yes, it's underground. And are you able to go up to the street regularly? Yeah, sure, sure. I have to pick some uh, food. There is no oven. I uh, go to my apartment uh, to cook something. Uh.
3: Nikita seems to be maintaining at least some sense of normalcy for now. He is busy continuing to make art, drawing and documenting his experiences. In general, his work, which spans installation, painting and graphic art, addresses socio-political developments within Ukraine and considers what lingers behind from Soviet communism. Eerily, when the war broke out in February, one of his works, which depicts a bombed-out building in eastern Ukraine, was on view in a show in Miami.
1: So I'm going with professional activities, and uh, and I even arranged a small group show of the works which uh, were in the storage of the gallery. I'm uh, drawing, writing a diary, communicating uh, with the press uh, this morning I uh, spoke um, the conference in Ljubljana and uh, it's also something I can do for Ukraine uh, for sure I am speaking about uh, current war and about uh, what what can be done
3: I asked the what he had been doing in the days before the country woke up to air raid sirens he said he had been living life in the usual way for the most part
1: I had uh, Plans to go to residence in Krems in Austria for March and April. I had my plane ticket for February 26. Sure, it was cancelled then. Uh, we had uh, several exhibitions. Uh, uh, we ran a project space for video called uh, Gerelo. Lots of artists from different parts of the world. And uh, life was quite uh, regular, like cafes and museums, they were open. But already for around a month, there were messages about Russian troops gathering near the border, involving Belarus, into conflict. So lots of people were quite nervous, but uh, lived a rather normal life.
3: There are some key events to know in order to begin to really understand just what has been quaking in the cultural and political spheres in the lead up to this current war. One pivotal moment was the Maidan uprising in 2014, also known as the Revolution of Dignity, where Ukrainian civilians took to the streets in Kiev and overthrew the pro-Russian president Viktor Yanukovych. In the wake of this, the cultural scene became much more mobilized, and the country and the art world looked increasingly westwards as they sought sovereignty, self-determination, and a better working democracy. It's also important to remember that what is happening right now in Ukraine is also a new chapter in a war that started just after the Maidan uprising, eight years ago. In 2014, Russia annexed the Ukrainian peninsula of Crimea. And as a result, many Ukrainians in the art scene cut ties and began to turn down projects funded with Russian state money. Ukrainian artists were also very much political in this time. Nikita explained to me how the art scene became enmeshed in social protest and how artistic and curatorial endeavors inevitably intersected and dealt with the new realities that they were facing, as well as the rising tension with Russia.
1: Ukrainian art uh, turned more political. Some practices turned uh, political in, uh, I would say, uh, very official, like official patriotic, or even in a nationalist sense. But also, it uh, gave new energy to a movement of uh, critical art, of politically engaged critical art, which was present on Ukrainian scene uh, much time before but uh, this tendency became one of the dominant. And also Ukrainian art got this uh, historical or even to say historiographical dimension. We started to connect present with the past. After 2014, we could see a lot of artistic practices, which uh, deal with historical continuity and also with a critique of uh, nationalist historical narratives, nationalist way to tell the history.
3: One major project Nikita turned down was an invitation to the massive group show Diversity United, which traveled from Berlin to Moscow last year. The show, which included artists like Olafur Eliasson, Garak Baslitz, and Mona Hatoum, was supposedly about democracy, dialogue, and European diversity. But it was scandal-ridden, and among many of the issues that arose with the show was one major one. An official patron was Russian President Vladimir Putin. Nikita and many others found that fact untenable.
1: Smarling, when uh, I wrote that actually I'm uh... One who struggled to recognize Russian Federation as a side of the conflict in Ukraine. So I cannot exhibit under Putin's patronage, he didn't answer this mail.
3: Wow. And this is um, Walter Smerling, who was the curator behind Diversity yes, United. Yes, exactly. Vasil, the curator, expressed disappointment that Western counterparts did not react more strongly to the increasing oppression and authoritarianism that was clearly taking place in Russia, not to mention the Russian government's aggression towards Ukraine.
2: I still cannot imagine how the EU is perceiving itself in this situation. It's really super strange. It seems like that the Union hasn't learned any lesson whatsoever during the last eight years when the Russian-Ukrainian war actually started in 2014 and the occupation of the Ukrainian territories, the annexation of the Crimean Peninsula.
3: Right. And there's been lots of discussion now asking what everyone was doing before in response to the annexation of Crimea. Many artists and curators in the years since then continue to work with the Russian state institutions or oligarch-backed museums. I wonder, like, did you see that as problematic then? And did you read it as apathy from the art world?
2: It was uh, some period just right after the Maiden revolution that it was in a way somehow palpable even here in the country that the EU and other Western countries uh, did put some attention also in terms of the Western media onto Ukraine. And it was also the moment when uh, our Visual Culture Research Center started the Kyiv Biennial as a kind of a vehicle or instrument using the artistic and cultural means in order to continue this political impact that the Maidan revolution had had on our country and also onto outside world. So basically the very intention was also to provide a platform also to the outside so that foreign artists and cultural practitioners would have a possibility to learn something from our unique political experience. Because it's not so often in Today's world that you basically saw, to put it in Hegelian ways, in a way that the spirit of history was unfolding in front of your eyes and also with your participation, that the masses of people managed to get rid of a bloody authoritarian leader. And basically the revolution has won at the end. Obviously, there are thousands of Russians who are protesting the war, but this is a country of 140 million people And these are not tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands, just several thousands on the one hand. And on the other hand, you have this kind of uh, cynical and hypocritical situation that there was no Russian institution. Can you basically imagine uh, not a single one whatsoever, which uh, took a kind of a public stance and opposed the war and called the war a war and named the aggressor. They were referring to some abstract humanitarian tragedy unfolding in Ukraine. So that's why we sort of stopped our activities for the time being. And we did achieve some success in that regard to boycott uh, all the Russian institutions, uh, especially those which are directly connected to the uh, Russian Federation as a state, of course.
3: In the wake of the war, Nikita has been using social media to discuss and share information. He's been posting images of Kiev's deserted squares that used to be full of people and teeming with life. He documents himself walking through these empty streets of his home city, and each caption counts the days. In these pictures, his facial expression is haunting and hard to read. He's also been sharing Ukrainian art historical content, including information about modern Ukrainian artists. I asked him what social media and social media networks have meant during a time like this.
1: It's a rather a diary, a diary of uh, staying in very special conditions. It's about like photos and videos, which I post like permanent ones. But stories are rather used for sharing news. And also, lots of people. Uh, are engaged in uh, some cultural activities and in actions of support uh, of Ukraine. And I try to help them from distance. I try to organize things like her uh, Ukrainian uh, video show in Castello de Rivoli in Turin, which will open tomorrow, or projection of images related to Ukraine and Ukrainian art on facade of museum Quartier in Vienna. So these things are quite public. And there are some announcements, some information, mainly in stories.
3: Nikita and others have also been sharing images of lost landmarks and cultural heritage under threat. Few in the country will forget how, in November 2015, the Donetsk Regional Museum of Local History was hit 15 times by anti-tank missiles, and it lost more than 30% of its collection. During that earlier phase of war, more than 30 other cultural institutions also reported damage. And now, in this current chapter cultural heritage is again in the crossfires. The art community has been working to protect what they can.
1: My friends from Ivano-Frankivsk now uh, working on evacuation of art worlds. Some pieces of art, of architecture, and some important cultural landmarks, like Slovo building in Kharkiv, the house where like most of uh, Kharkiv modernist writers of nineteen uh, twenties lived together. It's like a monument to this Red Renaissance, like early communist flourishing of Ukrainian modernist culture. It was hardly damaged by Russian shelling. They burned museum in Ivankiv. And maybe the works of a genius Ukrainian female artist, Maria Primachenko, which are stored there. Maybe they were saved by local people, at least some works, or maybe they were burned together with museum. We don't know. They destroyed already several prominent pieces of uh, like uh, 19th century, early 20th century architecture. I communicated, uh, like uh, mediated between Western institutions and family of Fedir Tetyanich, this great Ukrainian uh, cosmist and ecologist artist from uh, 80s and 90s. All his heritage was stored in a small apartment in the center of Kyiv, and uh, several Western museums were ready to get it, like to deposit, but to pick it only on the border. And family, was unable to transport it to the border, like to transport something from Kyiv to Polish border now, it's a huge problem. And especially big canvases, big sculptures, so very fragile objects. So yeah, our heritage is in danger as well.
3: I asked Vasil what more can and must be done to protect these Ukrainian institutions.
1: To
2: help uh, those uh, cultural institutions, museums, to evacuate artworks and uh, collections. This is especially a horrible situation in the east of the country, in the cities which are being bombarded constantly. So we already lost uh, many, many museums and art pieces uh, in in those regions. Another thing, uh, especially at the beginning of this full-scale war, we have been addressing different also Western institutions to expel. Uh, russian institutions from uh, various international events including biennials and stuff another direction my colleagues and uh, myself included but also like the people i know from the field they are basically uh, reacting to the situation in different manners one of the directions is basically documenting uh, the russian war crimes yeah many initiatives uh, who are doing that And I think this is also very much important in terms of being active on the information front. But this is also something to be sort of preserved for the future because, uh, yeah, it's just today that the uh, International Criminal Court uh, started its session in the Hague.
3: The more you become aware of what Ukrainians are going through right now, the more impressive it is that artists like Nikita have found the energy to continue to make art.
1: Art has very special instruments of understanding. It's a cognitive machine, which uses the means of intuition, imagination. Maybe now when we do a Ukrainian uh, art show somewhere, yeah, we are interested, uh, you know, provoke as much publications as possible and gain as much visibility as possible. First of all, art is about reflection and about understanding where we are and what is the condition of the world we live in. So it works rather slowly. To be an artist in a situation of urgency, it's a quite problematic position. You know, I drew, but I drew after I uh, gave like five interviews a day. I can imagine that art will be strongly involved in cultural diplomacy in next months. But then we'll have to make step from like, give us the voice, give us microphone, give us more visibility to talk and let's develop some new levels of understanding of what is going on. Uh, sooner or later, These communications through art should go deeper. Like the strong aspect of art practice is ability to touch the depths or touch these aspects of reality which are in darkness.
3: The international art community has mobilized in the last weeks, organizing fundraisers and charity sales to help those in Ukraine. Many people in the art scenes in Central and Eastern Europe have also been working to host and drive refugees. I asked Vasil what more the international community can do to support Ukraine.
2: The true political solidarity at the moment from the cultural field would be really to, to politicize this issue as much as possible and not bow to culture only. We need that all institutions, including the cultural ones, to step up and to make uh, as much public pressure as possible onto their respective governments in order to stop pretending that this is somebody else's war.
3: And Nikita also had a message to share with those of us who might not yet sense the direct impacts of this war.
1: You know, I want you to understand that it will last for very long and uh, Putin will not stop at the doors of Europe. Very soon, he will make a step in. No, I don't want to shame those people who have to survive. It's some sort of, you know, like a ritual of breaking these people, of breaking their will, breaking their dignity. And at the same time, it's just dangerous. Like if we imagine the worst scenario of occupation of Ukraine, Please think about Crimea, when Crimean, Tatar and Ukrainian activists just kidnapped. the so Russian law is totally under control of uh, like Putin's repressive machine. Russian courts, they work uh, just as a you know, system of political oppression. Like uh, in this case, it will be Terrible wave of repressions. Putin already let the world know that it's a war against uh, the very idea of like European democracy. So he will not stop. Please think the situation not in terms like helping Ukraine, but in terms of our common self-defense. Like if we speak about cultural workers, increase visibility of Ukrainian culture. Visibility means survival in current condition. If we speak about people in the cities, those who bring medicine to old people and people with disabilities, like lots of initiative of humanitarian help, but also we need peacekeepers. We need Putin to be stopped. That here, yeah, if there are means to stop, Economically, please do it. Lose the money not to lose the life tomorrow. And please think, is, people of Ukraine, is it a price? Are we a proper price to postpone this risk? Each day brings new victims. Ukrainians are killed by missiles and aviation each day brings new victims. In the
3: days since our interviews, the war has escalated dramatically, with terrible losses of life around the country. The capital is now coming under heavy fire as the Russian army doubles down its attack on Kiev. Most tragically, Ukrainians feel that their lives are expendable, all the while they see themselves as defenders of European and Western democracy and ideals. Vasil put this into perspective. The way he sees it, the West inclusive of the art world, only started to take notice when the West itself incurred losses. He recalls the sudden reaction that emerged after pro-Russian rebels shot down a passenger plane in 2014, killing 283 people.
2: Just imagine that one missile rocket would hit a Polish or a German soil. Would it be the same situation? I mean, so this is obviously kind of neocolonial mode of perception and attitude towards Ukraine. As if this country is a kind of a secondary one. If you remember, like 2014 and 2015, the first wave of imposing sanctions from the European Union came not because of the warfare itself, but only after the MH17 airplane was crashed. So this is also kind of a very symptomatic aspect because that was the question that we had been constantly asking and still now are asking, what is your limit? When you are going to step up really? So it became really pretty clearly that the West is going to react only when the Western citizens have been killed. So it's again, you know, like this uh, famous title of the Judith Butler's book, when is life grievable, right? And whose life is grievable? who deserves to be grievable. So it seems like that when it comes to Ukraine or when it comes to Afghanistan in this sense, these lives are not grievable. Only the Western lives are grievable.
3: I'd like to express my deep gratitude to Vasil and Nikita for contributing their thoughts and stories with me.
0: That's it for this week's episode of The Art Angle. If you like what you've heard, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Also, take a moment to rate and review us. It will help other listeners discover what we're doing. This episode of The Art Angle is produced by Sonia Manalili, Kate Brown, Caroline Goldstein, and Tim Schneider. Thanks for listening, and see you next week.